Good morning and welcome. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm the senior pastor here. I'm going to turn this off so that we can have a little extra battery later. I'm the senior pastor here at Malvern Hill Baptist Church, and I am so glad that you've gathered with us uh, again. Uh, we have, I, I was just inside a few minutes ago and sucked up just a second of air conditioning before coming back out, but uh, good crowd worshiping indoors this morning, uh, really good crowd worshiping outside this morning, and if if our online um, numbers in recent weeks have been any indication, then we've got a good crowd worshiping at home as well. And uh, y'all, for what it's worth, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm really grateful for the chance we have to make sure that we stream these services. I spoke with one of our senior adult ladies this past week who just can't get out at this point in time, and she told me what a joy and privilege it is for her to be able to worship with her church family. So uh, you all, uh, we, we have worked really diligently to make sure that that's possible. Uh, we have, we've brought new equipment. We've recruited and trained more volunteers, and I just believe it's worth every single minute of it. So those folks that we have who can't be with us still have an opportunity to be connected with their church family. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews in just a moment, the book of Hebrews. Let me speak to a couple of things. You all, many of you would have received a ballot for deacon nominations when you came in this morning. You've also received an electronic ballot um, of sorts by email this week. Please only choose one. You, if you did an e-ballot, you do not need to fill out a paper ballot, okay? Um, these are nominations, so if you double up, it's really not going to matter because whether somebody gets one nomination or 108, nobody really cares. It's not a popularity contest. Uh, but, um, but just uh, do me a favor and make sure that you take time. I know that these are sort of odd things and sort of an odd time, but it's important that we make sure that the life and the ministry of our church moves forward. And our deacon ministry is a very important and integral part of who we are as a church body. Our deacons do a wonderful job of leading out in our church as servant leaders, as ministers in our church and in our community. And so uh, please take the time. We will have five deacons rotating off, so there'll be room uh, for five more. So you'll nominate today. And then at the end of this month, I believe it's the fourth Sunday of this month, we will have deacon election. So... Um, so that we can fill those five spaces. Also, this month, we have va uh, Vacation Bible School. I don't know why that just came to my mind, but we do not have Vacation Bible School. Uh, we have baptism coming up this month. We haven't been able to do baptism in, in uh, five months now. Uh, I don't know what baptism is going to look like. We haven't worked out all the details, but what we do know is that we are scheduling a baptism, and we will figure out how that works. So if you've made a decision for Christ and you've not been baptized today, well, not today, but this month is, is the time for you to move forward with that decision. So uh, please use our online form Fill that out so that we will know that you've got an interest and one of our pastors can follow up with you so that we can schedule that baptism. And, uh, and, and uh, right now, I, I think it's probably going to be done outdoors. It's kind of what we're leaning towards, but we just don't know for sure how that's going to all work out. Uh, also, the third Sunday of this month, don't ask me what that date is, but two full weeks from now, on the third Sunday of this month, we have a Next Steps class scheduled. Again, we haven't done one of those in a while. We wrestle with the idea of doing those remotely, and I just said no. Um, and so, until we can, so we will do that in the sanctuary, and I, I will announce a time for that later because I'm supposed to know right now. Or can we say four? Does that sound about right? We'll say it's four o'clock. Four o'clock sounds like a really good time for us to have a next steps class on the third Sunday of this month. And uh, so anyway, pay attention to announcements, all those other things. If you have questions about what it would look like to be a member of Malvern Hill, no better way than to attend one of our Next Steps classes. 
so that you can get an idea about who we are as a church, who I am as a pastor, and I can get to know you just a little bit better. All right. By now, hopefully, oh, one more thing, one more thing. I'm sorry, there was one more. Uh, we did have a return of children's ministry this Wednesday night, and it exceeded most of our expectations, I believe. And so moving forward at 6 o'clock on Wednesday nights, our students and our children will gather here. We will do everything in our power to encourage and practice social distancing. So uh, they will. Uh, the, the students are going to be outside as much as possible. The children will be in the gym this week, and then they'll be either in the gym or the sanctuary every single week so that we can do our best to accommodate our children. All right. Having said all of that, if you have your Bible, stand with me and honor God's Word. We're going to be in Romans chapter, not Romans, Hebrews chapter 6. Y'all, if I can tell you to misspeak this much, my sermon will be twice as long as it's supposed to be. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we are grateful that you give us your word and that you've allowed us to gather together, Lord, whether we be gathered outdoors or we're gathered indoors or gathered even remotely in our homes. Father, we're so grateful for the privilege of technology that allows these things to take place. We thank you, Lord God, for clear skies. And Lord God, more than anything else this morning in this particular moment, I thank you for the power of the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God that applies it to our lives and the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, that you would hide me behind your cross, that, Father, your Holy Spirit would speak above our circumstances, and that the Word of God that we know is true and powerful and sharp would pierce our lives, Father God, and work. We trust you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Coronavirus, COVID-19, pandemic world, whatever you want to call it, has created ripples throughout our culture. Last night, we watched part of a baseball game, but we are learning from Major League Baseball that this could be the last weekend of baseball if some things don't happen as they should. Uh, lots of things seem to take place as a result. And one of the things that's happened is that banks have been unique in their approach to lending and loaning. Currently, I'm told, I haven't tried to buy one, but I'm told that to purchase a home right now, most banks are requiring 20 to 25% down. And, uh, and as a result, we've got it, uh, a challenge on our hands if you're in the market for those things. But why would they require so much money? They require so much money, of course, because that amount of money shows two things. It first shows, at least in their mind, your ability to make good on the note that, that they're, they're committing to you. It also shows your commitment to actually move forward with this purchase. In other words, they need evidence that you are all in. They need evidence that you can back up what you're, what you're, the commitment that you're making. When the writer of Hebrews is looking for a way to explain the greatness of God, 
he reminds us that throughout God's word, when God needed to swear on something, he need not reach out to anything else because it was God himself who swore by his own name and in his own character and nature. For the simple reality, there is nothing greater than who he is. Now, this morning we're looking at some of the promises of God. We've been in the book of Hebrews now since, I believe, the week after Easter. And we're looking at some of these promises of God. And, and the promise of God particularly this morning is the promise of the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The promise of salvation and eternal life. And so this morning, I want to wrestle with this question. Why should I or why should you trust the gospel? Now, our text begins, as I mentioned, by recounting the promise of God to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. Now, Genesis 22, if you'll remember, and some of you don't, is the account of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. Now, as you know, Abraham did not actually sacrifice Isaac because God provided a substitute sacrifice. Following Abraham's incredible act of faith and trust in the Lord, God doubled down on his promise to Abraham with these words. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." When God made this promise to Abraham in Genesis 22, it was really just a restating of the covenant promise that God had made to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, which coincidentally our children studied this Wednesday night. For our purposes this morning, we're going to focus on the last part of God's vow to Abraham that through his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now, we can see some partial fulfillment of this in various ways. We may look to the contributions of the Hebrew people throughout history, to the impact of Solomon's wisdom even, but of course, the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham comes through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus alone has brought this incredible blessing to all the world. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise. And it is through this gospel of Jesus that we can all experience the blessing of eternal life that came through Abraham's progeny. But this morning, I really want to focus on the question I've already mentioned. Should you, not only should you, but why should you trust the gospel? I mean, if we're just being honest this morning, if your only reason for trusting in and depending upon the gospel is because I say so, or because of your grandma, or because your favorite athlete is a Christian, your faith is built on a crumbling foundation. So this morning, I want to look at three reasons that we should and can trust the gospel. Now, the first thing this morning we see is that God is love. Now, God's love is not explicitly stated in these verses, but it undergirds the argument laid out by our preacher in these verses. Now, you remember we believe the book of Hebrews is one big, long sermon, longer than a Craig Thompson sermon, written by a preacher who cared well for his people. And the preacher right here makes the argument implicitly that God is love. Now, why should you trust the gospel? First and foremost, let's remember that God is love. First John 4, 8 tells us this. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love. Now, the Bible doesn't merely tell us that God loves, but God is love. Love is not just something God does. It is who he is. This isn't like saying you're happy. Happy is an emotion or an experience 
that is dependent upon your, your situation in life. It's dependent upon your circumstances. When we say that God is love, it's as much a part of him as blood and water and oxygen are a part of our being. An attribute of God is a characteristic of God. It's part of the definition of his very character. Y'all, for the first time since we began these outdoor services, I have bugs that are just circling my face. So if I go crazy here in a minute swatting at myself, just know that I'm not insane. I mean, I am just being swarmed up here. So an attribute of God's uh, characteristic is, is, is his love. So we can trust the gospel because, because God is love. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that God cannot lie. And since he has promised salvation, we can trust him. But not only is it that God cannot lie, because he is love, he would not desire to lie to us. You understand? We sometimes can get caught up in some of these uh, dogmatic theological principles and forget that each one of those principles is enveloped in the very love of God that defines his nature. So it's not just that there's this concrete reason that God cannot lie, and since by his nature God cannot lie, he doesn't lie. We've also got to cling to the reality that God doesn't want to lie. Right? It's, it's not as though God has a gun pointed at you in its own safety and he can't pull the trigger. Because he is love, he doesn't want to. Do you understand? There's a difference between simply not being able to and not desiring to. God is love. He doesn't want to lie to you. He speaks truth because that's who he is and because that's what he desires. Speaking of God's love in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, Jesus said, Or which one of you... If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Y'all, God is love, and because he is love, when he says that he will save you, you can trust him. Because he is love, when he says he will do it, you can trust him. Because just as we, as earthly fathers, desire to give good gifts to our children, how much more the great Father of light, from whom every good and perfect gift comes, how much more does he desire to honor his word to us and to offer salvation to us through his Son, Jesus Christ? It's not only that he cannot lie, he doesn't want to lie. Because God loves us. So the second, first thing this morning we see is that God loves us. Another evidence of God's love is cold water. Second thing we see this morning is that God is unchanging. Theologically speaking, when we speak of God's unchanging characteristic, theologically we speak of, of God's immutability. Now, that's another one of those big words. When we speak of the immutability of God, we're simply saying that God doesn't change in his character. Nothing about God ever changes. Now, I actually wrote about this in the newsletter that many of you received this week, and if you didn't, you can go and find that on our website. But God's immutability assures us that he is unchanging and he cannot change. In addition to confidence in God's inability to lie and his ongoing love, we can trust the gospel because God doesn't change his mind. God is sure and strong. Now, when you think of an anchor, you want something that is sure and certain. Like brakes, we don't want brakes that mostly work. We want brakes that work. Several months ago, I dropped off down the hill on my bike. 
And uh, I enjoy hills because I'm not that fast of a peddler. And so when I drop off down one of those hills, I feel like I'm like in the Tour de France, except, except I'm supposed to call it the Tour de France if I was really legit. And they go as fast uphill as I go downhill. You understand? Like for me to get the real breeze that they experience in that peloton, I need a long, steep hill. And so I dropped off down one of these long, steep hills, and I'm feeling the wind in my hair, and everything's blowing by, and everything feels great. And at the bottom of that hill, there's a little bit of gravel, and there's a turn. And so I begin slowing down as I come to the bottom of the hill. Well, when I say I begin slowing down, what I meant is I, I, I begin attempting to slow down, and I squeeze the brakes. And as I squeeze the brakes on my bike, I noticed that it wasn't slowing down at quite the pace I needed it to. See, I was a little uncomfortable about how I was going to navigate that loose gravel at the bottom of that hill in that turn. I'm not what you would call a cyclist. I'm like a hobby cyclist, you know? I've got a bike so I can ride with the kids. Y'all, when I squeeze the brakes on my bike, I want that thing to stop. I want it to stop. I immediately went home, and I adjusted the brakes on my bike because I need to know that when I squeeze the brakes on it, that it is going to actually stop. I need to know that when I say, whoa, it woes. Verse 19 says that in the gospel, we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. You can trust the gospel because God doesn't lie and because he doesn't change his mind. You don't need to worry. When God is your anchor, you are safe and secure in the storms of life and in the easy days. Listen, hurricanes do not concern the Lord. He is steady. Had a professor in seminary that, that said once, I wrote it in the leaf of one of my Bibles because it stuck with me so much in that time. He says, in the middle of the storm is no time to anchor your tent. In the middle of the storm is no time to anchor your tent. Folks, I, I do want you to know, however, that if you're in the middle of a storm today, you can be confident that when you call upon the name of the Lord, He is not moved. He is steady and sure. Not only is He unmoving, He is unchanging. And that's a good news for us because we don't need to worry that we will go to the Lord in prayer and find that He's in a bad mood. Psalm 121 promises that the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. So you don't have to be afraid that he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. God is never worn out from a hard day. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is why he is the ultimate father. Now let me just work this out for you. Dads, you understand this. Your children want you to be the same this morning, this afternoon, and tonight, and every day following. Now, it doesn't matter what you've done all day long. I had this experience yesterday. We worked out in the yard. It was 1,008 degrees. Um, we worked out in the yard, and I sweated a lot. Uh, Angela and I then went for a walk because she wanted to kill me, and so we walked like 15 miles in the middle of the afternoon. I could be exaggerating just a little bit, but it's not much. And we walked, and y'all, everywhere we walked, I think was uphill. There were hills everywhere we went, and I'm just drenched with sweat. And I get home, and one of my beautiful, wonderful children says, "Can we throw the ball?" I said, "Have you lost your mind?" 
But then feeling guilty, I said, you know what? I'll throw the ball with you because, listen, Father's Day is coming back around in just a few short months, and I need to make sure that I'm in their good graces. So out we go, and we throw the ball. Well, it's not enough that we can throw the ball. Can you run some routes for me, Dad? I'm like, dude, I am so fat. There is no route running in this guy. But, but hey, I said, yeah, I'll run the route. Then I get this, you're slow. Dude, I'm going to knock you out. I might be slow, but I'm strong, and you are fixing to get hurt. We do all of that, and y'all, I've got my tongue hanging out. I'm, I, all I want to do is get in the shower and, and just read a book or take a nap or, or die, something. And I get this. We're walking into the house, and I have my kid look at me. He goes, you want to go for a run? I said, a what? Dude, it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. It's 1,008 degrees. Yeah, but do you want to go for a run? Man, I've just walked 37 miles with your mother uphill both ways. Do I want to go for a run, son? I'd love to go for a run, but honestly, I can't. I just can't pull it off. I don't have what it takes right now to do that. Do you know we never need worry that we go to the Lord and the Lord says, I've had a bad day, son. I'm tired, son. I'm exhausted, daughter. I just don't feel like it today. The immutability of God is one of our greatest hopes as followers of Jesus Christ because he never changes. He's an anchor in the storm who has never, ever moved. And though we as earthly fathers long to give our children good gifts, though we as earthly fathers may want to always be ready to answer in a positive and affirming way, we will fail. But we need not fear that the Lord will fail, for he is unchanging. You can trust the gospel because he is unchanging. Third this morning, you can trust the gospel because God is listening. Why can you trust the gospel? Now, I feel like I've lived in Romans 10 a good bit in recent sermons, but I just can't help but run back there this morning. Part of the reason that we can trust the gospel is because God is listening. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, everyone who earnestly calls on the name of the Lord. Why? Because God hears your prayers. God's listening. We run back to Hebrews 6, and we are told that Jesus has gone on as an everlasting high priest on our behalf. He is behind the curtain. That is, that in the very presence of God is our high priest. When it says he's behind the curtain, it means the curtain of the Holy of Holies. That means that was the one place that the high priest, remember our our theme here is that Jesus is better Jesus is the better high priest. He's the best way. He's the only opportunity we have for salvation. So when the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus went behind the curtain, what he wants us to understand is that he, as our great high priest, has gone behind the curtain, the veil that separated the temple from the Holy of Holies. He is in the very presence of God as our great high priest. So that's where he is. But high priest describes what he does. Now, I want to remind you what was the role of the priest. The prophet in the Old Testament spoke God's word to God's people. What did the priest do? The high priest in particular and other priests in, 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 in general had the opportunity, the privilege and the responsibility to intercede before the Lord on behalf 
of the people. The priests were responsible for offering the sacrifices. And one time a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, what was the very throne room of God there in the temple, and the high priest would make atonement for the sins of the people. In other words, they heard the sins of the people, and they went before the Lord and said, Lord God, would you forgive? When the Bible says that Jesus is the high priest in the very presence of God after the order of Melchizedek, what the Bible wants us to understand is that as our great high priest, Jesus has gone ahead. He hears our prayers. He knows our needs. He's listening and he's interceding. He hears and he sees and he takes all of those things before the Father. I often get a text. Matter of fact, I think I got two or three this week. They come from some of y'all. And, 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 and this text, it says this. Do you have time to talk? Do you have time to talk? Listen, when I get a do you have time to talk text, it rarely means that they have anything they need to hear from me. It's usually this. Do you have time to listen? Pastor, do you have a minute? Can I have your ear? When I get a do you have time to talk text, I know I need to make time to talk. We never have to worry if God has time to listen or is in the mood to hear us. He hears, period. God hears, period. End of discussion. We need not caveat it with anything. God hears, and he hears you. There's a difference between the gospel and our salvation. Now, don't freak out. Let me, let me explain. The gospel is a historical event. The gospel is... A historical fact. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus ascended to heaven, and Jesus is coming again someday. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation is the application of that historical reality into individual lives. This is why it's important that our testimony is a part of of our communication of the gospel. But it's also important for us to remember that my testimony is not the same thing as the gospel of Jesus Christ. My testimony can't save you from your sins, but the same gospel that gave me a testimony can give you one. You understand the difference there? Salvation is my experience with and of the gospel. Now, if you want to know if you can trust the gospel, let me urge you this morning, just ask the Lord. Call on the Lord. He hears you, period. And, not but, and when you have experienced his salvation, you will gain an experiential look into the historical reality of the gospel. Salvation allows us to see the gospel not just as an historical event, but as an intensely personal event. When we are saved, we understand that the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ is not just something that happened. It's something that happened for me and for you. 
the gospel more than any other event in the world crosses the space-time continuum because the gospel intersects historically, but it impacts us immediately regardless of the age in which we find ourselves alive. My experience with the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same experience that first century believers had and second century believers had and third century believers had and fourth century believers had. And if the Lord tarries, my experience with the gospel of Jesus Christ will be the same experience that believers will have with the gospel of Jesus Christ 500 years from today. Because though it is an historical reality, it is a deeply personal experience of God's love poured out to us. And really that brings us full circle this morning. Why should you? Why can you trust the gospel? You can trust the gospel because God is love. You can trust the gospel because God doesn't change and you can trust the gospel because God listens God wants to hear from you I get those texts sometimes that say can you talk you know that there are times when I get that text and I really don't want to talk and I don't mean that ugly I'm just being honest with you am I going to make time for you do I want to talk to you yes but if I'm you know chasing a ball for my kid and I get that text I'm out of breath I don't necessarily want to do it in that moment sometimes I know the hard things that people go through and folks it can be difficult to get geared up to say I want to be in the midst of that hard thing because when y'all suffer and struggle y'all it hurts me I don't want to be in the middle of it any more than y'all do it's hard do you know there will never be a point in time not only in your personal life, but in the history of the world, when a human being will cry out to the Lord and God will not be anxious and ready to hear. There will never be a point in time in the history of the world where you'll catch God on a bad day or in a bad moment. There'll never be a point in time in the history of the world where you'll surprise Him or you'll shock Him. There will never be a point in time when any soul will ever cry out to the Lord and find a closed door. As we finish up this morning, you remember the story of Elijah as he encountered the prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel. Now, we generally focus on the incredible faith of Elijah, and we're right to do so. You know, Elijah poured the water over the sacrifice, the Bible says, till it ran out of the trough. The Bible says that, that Elijah then called fire from heaven well, one of my favorite things about that passage is that as the prophets of Baal were dancing around and screaming, the Bible says they were cutting themselves, Elijah mocked them. And he said, maybe he just can't hear. Maybe he's away on vacation. Maybe he's using the bathroom. But do you know that when Elijah called upon the name of the Lord. There was no magical incantation. He didn't ring a bell or bang a gong. He certainly didn't cut himself to show how committed he was. Instead, Elijah stepped up with confidence, not in his ability. And this is what's so important. 
confidence that when he prayed, God would hear from heaven and answer. Folks, do you know that today, when you pray, God will hear from heaven and he will answer because he loves you, he never changes, and he's always listening. If you're here today, if you're in our sanctuary, if you're watching at home and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you. Today can be the day of your salvation. If you're here in our parking lot, listen, I'll be over here to the side. You won't be on camera. I'd love to take a moment just to pray with you. If you're in our sanctuary, Pastor Buster, I believe, is in there, and he'll be at the front. He'd love to pray with you to help you understand what it looks like to take that step to begin to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But do you know that if you come and you speak to one of us, if you're at home today and you email me and say, Craig, I'd like to know what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Do you know I don't have a special recipe to get you there? You know what I have? Confidence in the God who saves. Confidence that he loves you, he doesn't change, and he's always listening. If you're here today and you need that relationship, I just want to urge you, do not let the day pass without calling on the Lord. And then finally this morning as we finish, some of you are believers in Jesus today. And even as believers in Jesus, sometimes we can allow the dark clouds of the world to blind us to the hope and the realities of God's promised love towards us. Can I remind you this morning that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a follower of Christ, that he hears your prayers, that he doesn't change, and he loves you right where you are. Has life been hard? Has it been difficult? Has it been challenging? I want you to know that God didn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed this morning and shut the blinds on you. He's ready to hear from you today. Would you call on the Lord, believer? Some of you should cry out and say, Lord God, I've doubted you, but today, Lord God, I am reminded you've not moved. Father, I may have strayed. I may have wandered, but Lord God, you're the same today. God, my heart may have hardened, but God, you're the same. And God, I've been so ashamed and embarrassed to come to you. But today, Lord God, I come not because of anything I've done or who I am. I come today because, Lord God, I'm confident that you love me, that you never change, and that you're always listening. And so, Lord God, I come today and ask you to restore me to fellowship with you. However it is that, Lord, may be at work in your life, I just urge you today to allow God to work well. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're grateful for your love and your grace. I thank you, Lord God, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. And I thank you, Lord God, that you are unchanging, always loving, and listening. God, hear our prayers, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand as we sing.